This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. He helps us pan for the gold inside ourselves. You need to have grit. I mean, a lot of this is grit. I feel like I've been made a better lawyer. They're talking about something that's real to them. You have to be really careful not to be Goliath. They saved a bunch of lives and changed society forever. But let's just begin the conversation. Welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation, your source for guidance to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your practice. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, we have Morgan Matson. Morgan is a lawyer. He also owns a company called Preferred Counsel, which helps lawyers get jobs and helps law firms find good lawyers. Uh, We thought there were some useful things he'd have to say after working with him on how law firms can find good lawyers and how lawyers can get jobs with good law firms. Uh, So we decided he could share some of that with us. Good morning. How are you doing today? Hey, Michael. Thank you very much for having me. So what is it that you do? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a blend of helping lawyers, paralegals, uh, secretaries, anybody under the legal umbrella find a job. Uh, and then the flip side is it's uh, helping law firms and corporate legal departments, uh, irrespective of the size of the firm or the legal department at a company. It could be a Fortune 100 company. It could be a tiny company. But helping them find legal talent. You know, with all the online job listings nowadays, why why do companies like you still able to exist? I mean, how why is it that people should still consider working with a company like yours? Uh, well, we bring uh, f- a competitive advantage. So uh, sometimes it's finding that needle in the haystack, finding the person who isn't looking. A lot of time, the better candidates are the ones who are happily working away. Uh, and then I call with a very unique opportunity, and all of a sudden, it, their head picks up off the desk. You know, And so uh, you may not find the best talent looking on the traditional online um, websites. I could tell you from our, from our side, as uh, the employer side, the one thing is we've noticed uh, we get flooded with people that are looking for jobs every six to nine months when we put an ad out, and so you get a ton of resumes, uh, and you, we get a lot of, I hate to say this, but a lot of exaggeration of qualifications and resumes And when we go and we uh, screen people, turned out not to be the case, which is unfortunate because it does not do the person any good because we do screen, uh, and which we have not had to deal with that when we've worked with you, and the, you know we found a big you know, we, we can cut through the clutter, spend a lot less time interviewing people that end up being unqualified, a lot of this time going through resumes of people that aren't, aren't going to get hired because they're not what we need. Uh, and so, you know, we've had some good luck working with you. We have someone here this is absolutely fantastic that we're so glad you found for us. So um, how did you get into this? I mean, you started off as a lawyer. What kind of law? Let's start back. What kind of law were you practicing? So I started in 1999 um, as a litigator, and I was doing uh, mass pharma defense work. Uh, Really enjoyed it, you know, the life of a young lawyer at a big firm, uh, had a good time with it, Uh, transferred to a small boutique handling uh, medical defense litigation work, and uh, was enjoying myself, did it for another six years. Uh, But at the end of the day, I found myself to be more of a connector than, you know, divider in a sense of a a traditional litigation practice. And uh, I kind of stumbled into it, um, happened to go to a recruiting office looking for the, um, what a lot of lawyers call the holy grail, going in-house.
house somewhere. Uh, oh, I'm just going to go work for a big company somewhere and um, leave the billing behind, leave the billing world behind. And uh, lo and behold, the recruiter who was in that office was someone that I knew from law school. And we started talking and one thing led to another. And six months later, I found myself working for the company and I haven't looked back since. And how did you go from, I guess, working for the company to owning a company? Uh, well, the um, <clears throat> company was fantastic. Uh, really enjoyed it. It was a national recruiting company, fantastic individuals. Uh, but I was in a small market, San Antonio, Texas, and the brand of the company I was working for, fantastic brand, but it, it really wasn't. San Antonio is a very relationally driven town, and I wanted to do more work with smaller firms. Uh, I wanted to be able to have flexibility in order to set the commission rate, in order to set maybe the payment terms. Uh, and so it just came time, I think, to uh, part ways. It was amicable parting, and uh, that was 2007, and it's been been a fantastic ride. So you've been doing it on your own for 11 years now? That's right. I feel a lot like a plaintiff's lawyer in a way, yeah. uh, because I'll have uh, some big deals closed, but then I'm always worried about the pipeline. What's coming next? What's coming next? Uh, which wasn't the case when I was at a larger company, because there was always that constant feed of, of, of opportunities in the other markets. But in San Antonio, it's a, it's a little bit different. So what is it you like about what you do? Oh, gosh. Um, I really enjoy the uh, getting to know everybody. I really enjoy sitting down with a candidate, finding out what makes him or her tick, what opportunities uh, would be most appealing to that person. It's not always the same for each candidate. Some people are looking for uh, more trial experience. Some people are working for that, looking for that proverbial work-life balance. Uh, so I enjoy kind of connecting the dots. I enjoy kind of making a, a, a database of individuals and then also doing business development, meeting with people like yourself, meeting with other lawyers and finding out how I can help their firm become more successful. So what's the, right now in 2018, at least in your area, what's the lawyer job market like? It's a robust market. It is really a solid market across the board. Um, it's it's kind of unique uh, time right now because I usually have kind of a if, if the corporate side, the real estate, the deal lawyers are busy, then it seems like the litigators are not as busy. And so it seems like I have more clients asking me for real estate, for uh, M&A, for private equity work. And then uh, when the litigation's busy, it seems like the corporate kind of drops off. Uh, but 2017, the last quarter of 2017 and to the present have been busy across the board. So it's a good time to be a young lawyer. I think it is. I think it really is. Maybe not as good for some of us hiring. <laughs> <laughs> so what is some of the things you think? Because you've seen hires that work, hires that don't. You know, for small to mid-sized firms, because our, our audience is plaintiff's lawyers, uh, mostly, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know who really downloads it or not, but I think it's mostly plaintiff's lawyers. Um, so most of us are small to, you know, one to ten lawyer shops. There's a few shops bigger, but most of them aren't. Uh, what are some of the things that you find you know work well and don't work well in recruiting for firms of that size? You know, I got to say, I really enjoy working with the small to mid-sized firms because uh, every um, box that needs to be checked is amplified, and by that I mean. Um, uh, you know, small to the mid-sized firms, they really have to be cognizant on who they're hiring and why they're hiring, uh, because you know, in a larger firm, if you take somebody who may have a particular personality, uh, uh, you know, maybe that person's a wallflower. Uh, that person can be a wallflower, and it's probably not going to change the overall dynamics. Uh, but in a smaller firm, uh, you know, little little eccentricities, uh, if you will, can really be magnified uh, in a smaller firm. And so it just kind of things like that are fun to think about and to be cognizant of, uh, and it, it makes it a good opportunity, I think. 
Yeah, I remember, you know, a big firm in New York where I started, you you were hired to be a cog in the machine. That, you know, you were going to wear a dark gray or a navy blue suit. You weren't. Right. The partner was the one that was going to stick out. You're there to be in the background and support the partner. You're not there to talk to clients. So if you have a horrible personality, it doesn't matter because you're going to be in a room reviewing documents or writing memos all day. Uh, Whereas a plaintiff's firm, I mean, we don't have the luxury of having a lawyer just to do document review or just to do legal research. They have to talk to judges. They have to talk to clients. They can't have a temperament that's going to upset the client when they talk to them or make it worse. So it it is a more challenging hiring market for us, I think, because we have to find someone that not only has the legal abilities to do great work, but then has the people skills to handle judges, handle clients, especially clients. That's right. But you know what? I also think that that challenge is an opportunity because a lot of times the lawyers um, who may be attractive to to smaller or solo plaintiff's firms are those that maybe have the pedigree of a big firm. Uh, And those big firm lawyers, uh, oftentimes, uh, maybe they're tired of doing the document reviews and they don't feel like they've had the meaningful deposition experience or the meaningful trial participation experience or that meaningful client interaction. Those are all... um, uh, soft issues, you know, outside of pay, where it can make a competitive difference because uh, a smaller firm may be able to offer somebody, maybe not the the big firm pay, but they may be able to offer uh, the opportunity to take a scientific expert deposition uh, or something else that's really uh, provides that lawyer with the career trajectory that he or she's looking for. Yeah, and I've also seen that sometimes, you know, at a big law firm, they have very strict grade cutoffs, and sometimes we have somebody that may not have been on law review. But they are making argue a motion to compel fine. They get along great with clients. They actually do well with a jury, and they turn out to do fantastic with us. Uh, so it, it, it's a different, I think, different opportunities at different firms, definitely. Yeah, you know, I don't know if the story is true or not, but you all, it comes to my mind, you know, Joe Jamal and uh, the story about if he, he made C's, but look what he turned out to do. You know, it's like uh, sometimes you do. You have somebody who's just a rock star uh, in the courtroom who maybe didn't do well academically. You never know. That's right. I'm trying to do it all, but, you know. <laughs> no, this is good, good, good. So if someone is out there, let's say you're uh, less than 10 years experience, you want to break into a plaintiff's firm, what are some of the things you'd recommend uh, to do to try to, to get into this kind of work? Uh, well, uh, one would be to talk to a recruiter, talk to a headhunter. Uh, Another would be, I think LinkedIn is a very powerful uh, resource that is probably underutilized. Uh, There are so many different uh, groups to join on LinkedIn, but also, uh, without becoming too much of a stalker, uh, there are ways you can find out a lot about uh, people who are doing what you want to be doing on LinkedIn and finding commonalities and reaching out to a group of people uh, and finding out how those people got to where they were and then seeing if there's any opportunity to shadow uh, if that that particular firm or uh, a group of lawyers has an opportunity for um, a hire things along those lines yeah I think the other thing that could be done is if someone's already on the plaintiff side and this is not for everybody because a lot of people that we end up hiring start off on the other side and switch over but if you're already on the plaintiff side we have some uh, like I just taught last week at a trucking college that the American Association for Justice had in Arizona, and we had people in small groups, and I worked with six students in a small group practicing, you know, how do you come up with rules to use in trucking cases? Now, let's apply those. Let's do a cross-examination of this person. So someone pretend to be the witness, and somebody else would cross-examine. Let's do work on a closing. And, you know, well, if one of those students 
kept in touch with me because we we did an email list and they impressed me in that group and we had an opening well i'd be more likely to hire somebody i'd already seen in fact we've hired somebody out of the product advocacy college of texas there was somebody who just wowed me and i wasn't actually trying to recruit the person i just sent a note saying you are incredible you need to keep working on this you have the potential to be great and six months later i get an email saying hey i'm kind of looking what do you think uh, so I think, you know, some of those opportunities where you get to, to meet some more experienced lawyers, you know, go to continuing legal education programs and talk talk to and, e- and you know, email, because a lot of us like to talk to younger lawyers. A lot of us like to, you know, go have lunch. It doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, we are busy, but it doesn't bother me to go have lunch and talk to somebody about cases. And I think you can start developing some of those relationships, but you got to reach out and, and, and make the effort. It, it takes a little bit of uh, chutzpah. But I, yeah. I, I do think that's the way to get it done, and I've been impressed with people who do that. You have to have a, a strong initiative if you're trying to break into a particular area, and part of that is exactly what you're talking about, being involved in the industry and the CLEs, any of those seminars where the experts are, and then – you know, again, it's a fine line between you know being overly aggressive, but you know, you're, no one's going to pick up the phone and call you. So you got to be the one to make that first contact, and then keep that going. And then chances are, over a period of time, I do believe that there is going to be, like you said, that particular opening. It may not be then, but when when that firm like yourself has has the need, you may go straight down to that person that you saw at the you know the college. Yeah, there's a senior lawyer we've been talking to for a while who hopefully will be here by the time this is released. Uh, but we'll see. But we've been talking for. You know, 10 months, uh, you know, it's been a, a long, slow dance. And, you know, at first the person wasn't even interested. We just, you know, just talking about possibilities. Right. You know, uh, I love those stories. So on the other end, on hiring, uh, what's some advice you can give to l- law firms that are looking to hire uh, associates to help grow their practice? Uh, so, you know, use uh, all the tools that are available. Um, you know, a recruiter is one of them, but it's not the only one. Um, you know, again, we've talked about um, what can you do? I, I always like my clients to take a real honest internal assessment of who they are and where they want to be and then figure out how that person will fit into that uh, vision. And particularly because once you get that vision established, uh, it really helps to give the, quote, sell of the position. And so is this person going to be a, a, a big role player? Is this person going to be a behind the scenes? Uh, there are good candidates on both sides of that. Some people love being the ghostwriters, and all they want to do is brief write, brief write, brief write, be in the back, and they don't want to step in front. Others are dying to take that lead role, and they need that mentorship. And so, you know, it, 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 it starts with figuring out, you know, who you are as a firm, and then how does this particular hire fit into that future, and then, you know, reverse engineer it from there. What are some of the characteristics you've seen that that do and then don't work that you've seen in in, uh, people coming to small to mid-sized plaintiff's firms? Um, So in in terms of uh, things that I think really do work, uh, figuring out... um, you know, so I talked about the sell of the position. And so that can be the hard and the soft tangible. So the hard is, all right, uh, what are we going to pay? Uh, how is that going to be? Uh, is there a bonus? How's that bonus calculated? Uh, is there any back end uh, to it uh, so that if a person meets a certain performance goal, uh, if the firm makes a certain performance goal, then uh, is some of that distributed with the particular hire if that hires a lawyer? Um, you know, but then there are the softs as well. And so it's, again, 
um, what can we offer that might be different from uh, where this particular person may be coming from? So figuring out who your targets are, where, where your target's likely coming from, and then figuring out what's the competitive advantage to joining your particular firm. Uh, I can provide you with meaningful deposition experience. I can provide you with the opportunity to work remotely. I can provide you with the opportunity to interact uh, more significantly with clients. Uh, I can provide you with, you know, and the, 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 the questions and the answers to those questions are really limitless as long as you are creative and figuring out what makes your firm unique from something else. Because I find that people really, the, the really good lawyers, yes, they're busy, but they're also interested in hearing about solid opportunities, ones that can be career changers. Uh, and so on, uh, you know, to answer the first half of your question, those are the things I think you really want to hone in on. Um, you know, all of those kind of soft uh, uh, intangibles that make a position so much more interesting than your typical going to work in your gray suit at the law firm. Not that that's bad, but you know, it's not for everybody. Uh, on the flip side, you know, when you don't take those things into consideration and you just go off charging, I've seen it, you know, really be a difficult search because, uh, you know, you end up looking for so many different candidates. You're interviewing people. Uh, you're spending a lot of staff time uh, setting up those interviews. And at the end of the day, you're retooling, retweaking, and it becomes almost a morale issue because you seem to not be able to find who you want. And uh, it's like being in molasses. And that just drags you down. And then meanwhile, obviously, you're busy trying to you know, prosecute your cases, push your cases along, and um, it, it, it just, it, it almost snowballs or a whipsaw, and um, it becomes very, very frustrating, uh, and you don't get the heat help that you need. Uh, and so I, I feel like if it's not planned out from the beginning, it's hard to plan it as you go. I noticed you used the word sell, and that's something that I've come to realize over the years that, uh, you know, we always think of the candidate trying to sell themselves to the law firm, but you mentioned the law firm also selling themselves to the ideal candidate. Can you tell a little bit more about why would a law firm, I mean, like we're paying money, why do we need to sell ourselves? Right. Um, and it's a, it, it's a good point because um, it, I think it's maybe a function of how robust the market is. But it's also really what you're wanting to do is recruit that right person, an emphasis on the word recruit. And so, you know, it's possible that the timing may be perfect where someone is actively looking for a job. And I do that a lot with extremely well can well qualified candidates. Um, and then I just make a match, so to speak. Uh, but more often than not, um, if you're really trying to be selective about it and you're you're putting a lot of thought into the future direction of the firm, you are going to have to recruit that person. I mean, it's more likely than not going to, not going to be a situation where someone is happens to be moving to your area of the city or your area of the country. Um, and so you want to have that sell because it's, it's part of who you are. It's part of your brand. It's part of uh, the identity. And um, it's part of why that person would want to come there. And so I feel like... Um, the, the candidates that most people are going to be looking for are those that are probably going to have several different choices to choose from. And so you do have to kind of make an effort at creating a pitch, if you will. I think that's absolutely right. Thank you. Uh, another thing I've noticed, and I've been reading, uh, I think there's a Wall Street Journal article about this, that for employers, interviews are not a particularly good way to judge how people are going to end up once you hire them. 
uh, in fact, one of my experiences is that the more people hop around and look for jobs, the better they get at interviewing. <laughs> and the person that stays at a job for 10, 12 years at a time doesn't have any experience at it. Uh, so given, you know, that at least, and I, and I don't know if that's been your experience, if, you know, are there better th- ways to screen people than interviews? That's a, uh, you know, Loaded question. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's, uh, you know, you and I could spend hours, I'm sure. I, I, sometimes I think I should write a book. Uh, you should. Because p- people do crazy things in interviews, and um, at the same time, uh, someone will sail through an interview, and like you said, I mean, they become a good actor. Um, and so some of it is the reference checking, but even that is really difficult because, you know, that's fraught with all sorts of issues. Um, sometimes you, do, you know, do all your due diligence, and uh, people you know, for, for all sorts of different reasons are hesitant to say things about a particular person, uh, how he or she performed at the job. And so there's some of that where you don't know whether the reference is truly, uh, uh, an accurate predictor. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it's a tough deal. I think that it, it, I always encourage my clients to try to do a number of things, uh, you know, have the traditional interview, uh, have an interview with some of the, um, staff of the law firm, uh, because sometimes a person will act differently with the, hiring partner, they will act differently with an associate, and they may act very differently with uh, the paralegals and legal secretaries and other members of the, the law firm. Um, the other thing is maybe try also um, meeting the candidate at uh, a social function. Uh, I've had clients uh, have spouses uh, of the firm uh, come, and, and again, it all depends upon the level level of the hire and things like that and resources, I, I understand. But if you're really trying to, to, to do as best as you can, it's seeing that person in a different setting maybe having lunch with a person instead of the traditional in-office interview. Sometimes uh, they're um, uh, protective uh, or their act, if you will, uh, in this particular uh, instance that we're talking about, uh, maybe that will shine through a little differently if you're having lunch with a person or if you're having uh, you know, a Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening event with uh, maybe you and your spouse and some of the other members of the firm. Uh, so those are some ways that you can guard against it. But at the end of the day, it's tough. I, I will tell you, it's it's tough to try to 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 make a good hire based upon you know the interviews. Yeah, I just think you have to just keep trying to get it right. Uh, as mean as that sounds sometimes, but uh, another thing I want to ask you about is you know for jobs right out of law school, you know grades and what law school you went to you know are with the bigger firms almost dispositive whether they even look at you or not when you get further out into practice uh there seems to be more opportunities for people uh what would you recommend to somebody who maybe wasn't didn't go to a top 14 law school wasn't in the top 10 percent of the class but wants to get into you know right now i want to talk about plaintiff's work a good plaintiff's firm but you know a good plaintiff's firm a high-end firm what are some of the things you would recommend they could do to maximize their chances of getting an interview or getting a job if their grades were not stellar? You know, that's a, a, a really um, a top of mind issue for me right now because I happened to be in the courtroom the other day covering a uh, motion to compel a hearing. And um, I saw a young lawyer, about five years of experience, and this particular person, you could tell uh, somebody had just dropped 
a real problem on her hands. And she was impressive. She was arguing against a lawyer who had many, many more years of experience than she had. Uh, but she was incredibly well prepared, had everything highlighted, had copies for the judge, opposing counsel, and stood her ground like a pit bull. And, um, and so, but you know, uh, her academic records, uh, where she went to school, as I later came to find out, were okay, but not, you know, not a top 10 law school, uh, wasn't on law review and things like that. Um, but, but I think she's going to be a very strong candidate for somebody who's willing to look past some of those initial, uh, hurdles, uh, you know, that everything comes to the people who were law review, et cetera, et cetera. And so for someone like that, you know, I really recommend, again, use a variety of resources. Um, you know, reach out to um, your law school uh, career services office. Uh, reach out to any industry expert. Uh, so if you're talking about trying to get into a plaintiff's firm, uh, you know, start shadowing, if you will, uh, whether it be virtually or at the um, TTLA or other state um, uh, plaintiff's uh, lawyer uh, associations um, and also do what you can to really build up your current resume so I find that a lot of the uh, plaintiffs firms in town are really wanting to and I say in town but I would imagine this applies across the board uh, you know are, are really focusing on what have you done what have you done since you graduated from law school? Uh, and so if you're asking me to overlook the fact that maybe you weren't on law review, maybe uh, you didn't go to one of the, you know, um, AmLaw 100 firms uh, right out of law school, okay, fine, but what have you done since then? Um, and so what you need to do is you need to focus on your experience and need to, uh, you know, I've I've been able to take these good depots. You know, so here's a great example. Um, if if your firm or whatever your situation will allow, um, you know, make a instead of just relying on just a traditional eight and a half by eleven resume, a uh, piece of paper that's kind of boring. Um, I find, particularly when we're talking about plaintiffs' firms, they're generally more creative. They're kind of a little outside of the box. Um, do a, a mashup, if you will, of some deposition highlights. Oh, wow. Uh, if, if you have um, taken a couple of killer depositions that led to an expert being, you know, kicked out on Daubert rules, I mean, put together a bunch of those and have it in a little snippet. If, you're, if your depots were audio or video recorded, uh, I would make a cool little uh, video that someone could watch. Uh, you know, it's so much easier now with the digital technology where you can cut and paste. You know, make it like you're working in trial director, except instead, you know, you're fashioning it for a, a lawyer. I'll be honest. I'd never thought of that before, but if somebody gave me a video clip of depots, you know, depot clips that they had done where they did a good job, they would be right at the top of my stack. Just the initiative uh because that's the kind of initiative I want to see when you get ready to try a case. That's the person, or get a case ready to go. That's the person that's going to do that extra work. Yeah. Uh, I, and and that you know, I would so much rather see someone taking a deposition or seeing you know, reading someone's work that they actually did. Because even writing samples, you don't always know nowadays because other people can edit and you know it can be a motion. But you know, how many other people reviewed that motion before it actually got filed? Absolutely. Uh, but you know, I could actually see that and you know i've sometimes had the fortune of actually being in the courtroom with someone i remember once i watched i interviewed somebody and we happened to be in the courtroom like a week later and i watched her argue i said okay yeah this is good uh but you don't always have that that luxury so i think that's a great thing 
Yeah, I mean, it, it. you know, because I've had clients tell me, oh, I hired this person because we were opposite a case. And I saw how well he or she was prepared. I saw how well he or she knew uh, the holes in my case and knew how to exploit them. Uh, and so if you don't have that opportunity to be uh, opposed to somebody and then trying to work your way into that firm, you know, what's the second best thing? Well, take that evidence that you have, I don't mean literally the case evidence, but the evidence of you working, put it into some type of virtual uh, presentation form, uh, get the transcript, get the uh, video of the depot, uh, maybe you, you know, mock trial something, but you got to think outside the box, put it together and say, here's my resume, but let me tell you what speaks more than my resume. Here's a, you know, um, again, a deposition I took where it led to I busted the plaintiff on, you know, sovereign immunity uh, or something like that. So that the lawyer on the other side looking at that knows, wow, this person can can get the work done. Yeah, I think another thing that might help with the plaintiff's part in particular, there's like certain books and theories that are really hot right now. So, you know, you have David Ball and his reptile theory. You have Rick Freeman and his rules of the road. You know, like read the books and learn the key words to talk about, you know, I, I have some clue of what you guys are going to be trying to do because most high-end plaintiff's firms, the people doing the hiring would have gone to those seminars and learned about that stuff. I think that would also be a, another helpful way to show that, look, I'm working towards trying to be a good lawyer. I'm not just going to sit there and, you know, expect you to spoon feed me everything. I couldn't agree more. I think that's great advice. I just thought of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> it must be good. <laughs> you know, I hear things about there's more like uh, people working from home or more flex time. You know, we don't really have that as much in our firm. Uh, what are you seeing in the market about that kind of stuff? Um, I'm seeing it as one uh, component. Again, it's not uh, a universal. Uh, there are some people who uh, see that as a perk. There are other people who uh, that's not on their radar at all. Uh, it, it may be that, um, again, going back to you know, what type of candidate are you trying to attract? Uh, where, What is the role for this particular person? Uh, obviously, if it's more of a heavy motions, a heavy discovery, heavy briefing role, that may be an opportunity to say, hey, well, look, as long as you're, you know, getting the work done, if it's important to you to be able to work remotely one day, two day a week, whatever. So so I see it as, as just something that's being offered. It's not every candidate is clamoring for it. Uh, it's really more of a unique characteristic. Yeah, we have the ability to work from home, but I just find, like me personally, I used to work a lot from home. Now I have a six-year-old and a 13-year-old. I don't get a lot of time to work when I'm at home, unless early mornings when they're not up yet. But, you know, when I try to work, the six-year-old especially comes and pulls my hands off the keyboard and says, why aren't you paying attention to me? Which exactly. is fair. I work enough where I should be paying attention to my kids when I'm at home. But it's uh, there's other times, though, when I do work from home because they're at school and I have a brief that needs to get done. and I kind of have a similar problem when I'm in the office that everybody wants to talk to me and talk about their case or get their legal questions answered, and I need to get my work done. So I can see the pluses and minuses of it. Right. Well, and the other thing, too, is, um, you know, you don't want to work in isolation. It uh, Oftentimes, it helps to be able to walk down the hall and bounce an idea off of somebody. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, a firm could look at that as an option, but it's not, a, you know, silver bullet. Um, it's just one thing of out of many things in terms of uh, what is new. You know, uh, 
20 years ago, that would have been unheard of. Uh, 20 years ago, you wouldn't walk the halls of a major law firm without a complete suit and tie on. Uh, now, even some of those firms are in the business casual. So it's just as, as things change, I do hear more of that work from home. You hear a lot of the work-life balance thing. Uh, that may not be what a particular firm is wanting. Uh, some firms are hard-charging, aggressive. Uh, they expect you know long hours. Obviously, when you're gearing up for a case, uh, there is no work-life balance. It's we got to get everything done. We got to get everything ready, even if it settles. You know, at the courthouse steps. We got to prepare to try the case. And so um, it, it, it it goes back to really having a true understanding of who you are. What is your identity, and what's this particular hire going? How does this particular hire fit into that identity? Yeah, I think if you want consistent work-life balance, uh, litigation might not be for you. Uh, and there's a great, great trial lawyer. Her name is Randy McGinn. She's out of uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, but she's got you know, incredible results. And we interviewed her for the podcast, and she wrote a really good book as well. One thing she says is you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. So you know, when you're coming up for trial, you know, you're not going to be mom of the year or dad of the year that week. Right. Uh, after you win, maybe you can work reduced hours for a little bit to make up for it. But you just cannot, you know, work legal work at a high level, at least litigation and, and big deals on the corporate side, is there's just times when you have to work the weekend. There's times when you have to work at night. And if you're not willing to do that, there are opportunities in the law, but, you know, you're not going to be a major litigation partner or a major M&A partner. Right, right. It's not going to happen. If you want to work nine to five, it's just not. Right. I love that. I'm going to have to maybe borrow that. I'll give due credit, but I, I love that you you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time because well, I think that's perfect. Well, give it to Randy, not me. I mean, she was nice enough to interview. I don't want to steal her. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all Randy. And she's an awesome. You got to listen to the podcast. She's an awesome person. She actually uh, took the bar the day after she gave birth. Oh, wow. Yeah. She said there was no pressure. No one expected her to pass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she's a special woman. She's incredible, though. So how does it work? Let's say, well, first of all, before how it works, from the employee side, why would, if I'm looking for a job, why would I want to talk to somebody like you? Um, so again, it's um, having the uh, relationship. So um, I can oftentimes, one, uh, a good recruiter uh, will know about jobs that aren't necessarily advertised on the traditional job boards. So it's, uh, again, using an additional resource. Uh, the other reason is uh, knowing that if the recruiter uh, is a good recruiter, he or she should have positive relationships with a variety of employers uh, in the particular city, which then translates to knowing whether or not the job is a good fit. Uh, there have been times when I have uh, been competing, if you will, against a job board, uh, but the job board just generically has the position posted, whereas I've had the opportunity to meet with the hiring partner or the hiring team, and so then I can tell the candidate, you know what, this is not a job you want, not because it's a bad job, but because it's not the job for you. You know, we we're just talking about that work-life balance. Well, maybe this person is a is coming to me and saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just done with the 70-plus hour work weeks, and I want to do X, and this sounds like a pretty interesting opportunity. I saw it on Monster. And then I say, well, look, I mean, it does. It's a fantastic opportunity, but not if you're wanting to titrate down. Um, so there can be some real positive um, uh, inside information, if you will, uh, that can come from working with a recruiter. Yeah. And I think there are definitely jobs. There, like There are times when, for various reasons, I don't want to post a job online. Uh, maybe because the same person who I might do business with otherwise is Applied a couple times. I don't want to hurt that person's feelings. Uh, or I just hired one. I don't want to look like 
we're hiring too many at once. Uh, but I might reach out to someone like you. I think another advantage you might have is do you have some maybe inside info on, you know, big firms, you can go to above the law or other places right. and find out what they pay. You know, we don't publish salary information at our firm. Uh, do you maybe have more of an inside track on what people get paid at different firms? What's reasonable? What, you know, are, is someone getting lowballed? Could they ask for more? Are they being unrealistic? Um, I do. I feel like I've got uh, a lot of information that isn't publicly available. I mean, I've been doing this for 11 years. Uh, I'm very careful, though. Uh, you know, a lot of times clients will tell me in confidence uh, particulars about a one position that may not apply across the board. And it's hard as a small firm uh, because, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you're appropriately compensating everybody. But because you're not a big firm and you're not doing the lockstep, a first year makes this, a second year makes this, uh, you have greater flexibility. But that flexibility also has to be protected. And so I'm very, very, uh, very cautious. And I'm sure most any reputable recruiter would be as well in terms of how that information is share but i think you could give a you know somebody says this is what i want to do this is the income range i'd like to make you can tell them whether it's realistic or even sometimes well you could probably shoot a little higher yeah <laughs> that's true i mean yes and and, and i've helped con- candidates out by by doing that or by telling them look this particular firm uh here's why i think it would be a good fit for you and here's how we think uh, your resume doesn't really play up to that so um a, a well-rounded candidate should have, I think, a variety of resumes depending upon what position he or she is applying for because some positions may want you to play up. They may be much more heavy on the deposition and trial prep. Others, again, may be more heavy on the motions practice. So for those, you want to make sure that you have a resume that plays up to the particular uh, factors that are important to that uh, firm. And so I have helped candidates in that way. And so for candidates, you know, do you charge them anything? No, I've... Uh, I've had a lot of candidates tell me, um, you know, well, what can I pay you to help me with the resume or help me with, um, you know, getting into the firm? And and I've thought about that. But at the end of the day, I tell them, look, I'm in this for the long view. Uh, I would rather just build a relationship and have another friend inside that firm. And so even if I don't have the particular search, uh, there have been a number of times where I've known that for whatever reason, the firm can't hire me, but they're looking for a candidate. And I've whispered in someone's ear, hey, so-so is hiring. I don't have the search, but you ought to apply because I think you'd be a perfect match. And I mean, yeah, I don't get a commission for that, but I feel like, hey, that's just one more ally I have in that particular company and that particular law firm and you know it's it's all good in the long run but for someone out there who might be looking for their next job if they if they contact you you're you're going to get paid if you get paid by the employer not by the employee that's right i mean i know that there are some firms out there and some resume building type uh people who charge for that and and i think those are all fine but for me i feel uncomfortable in a way uh uh charging a candidate for my services because if I don't get that person an interview or if I don't get that person a job, I feel like at some level, maybe he or she may be disappointed in me or feel like they paid and they didn't get what they wanted. Uh, And so uh, the way it works is you know, a, a law firm or a corporate legal department will hire a recruiter. That recruiter will go out and find the best qualified candidates for that particular job. Uh, and then if there's a hire, then the company that hired the person pays the commission fee. So the job applicant doesn't pay for that assistance. And from the law firm side, like why does someone like me, and I have paid you and I will probably pay you again, uh, why does Thank someone you. like me 
pay you instead of just putting an ad out for free or for cheap. I can put it out on Craigslist for probably free or, you know, uh, why, why, why do I pay you? How much do you love your staff? <laughs> I, love my, I love my staff. So you put an ad, and I'm not here to, 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 to besmirch any of the onlines. Those are all good for certain purposes. But you put an ad out there, you're going to get sent a million resumes. You can put it in big capital letters, must have five years of this particular trial experience, and you're going to get someone who's a real estate lawyer who's never even set foot in the courtroom. And you'll get a ton of those. So one of it is staff you know, resource time. And what is your bandwidth? What is your capacity to, to receive countless resumes. There are people who, I guess, because of um, unemployment requirements, they're required to apply to a certain number of jobs every week, and they have to go into the unemployment office and produce proof that they applied to so many jobs. So, you know, I mean, you will get a ton of just completely non-responsive resumes. So one issue is that. The other issue, again, is uh, the vetting. Uh, you might hire a recruiter uh, to, to properly vet or to vet as well as you would expect a candidate. Uh, the other issue is there may be privacy concerns or uh, as a buffer. Uh, so you don't want to offend, um, you know, your partner's cousin's nephew who wants to work for you. And so you can, I can be political cover, you know, well, I hired this recruiter, the recruiters, I told the recruiter, bring me the top five resumes and I'm only going to use you. And so I'm sorry, but you know, that was the recruiter that made the cut or there's just all sorts of different, uh, you know, ways that a recruiter can be an advantage aside from just, you know, bringing the resumes. I think the other advantage uh, is that a lot of times my ideal candidate is not looking for a job actively on the job board, but you may, through your relationship, say, well, I don't know if this person's looking or not, but I think they'd be perfect. Let me reach out and see if there might be some interest. Whereas, you know, I wouldn't feel as comfortable and I would, you'd probably have a better idea of who might be open to it than, than I would. And you, you just know a lot more people out there. I know the people that we litigate against all the time, but it's hard to hire someone we have active cases with because there's conflicts that if they don't get waived, right. we can't hire them. Uh, whereas you have a much better idea of who's out there. And like I said, I think sometimes the ideal people, you know, they're not looking, but they may be open if the perfect opportunity came up. That's right. Uh, I have a lot of people, uh, I call them kind of my hot prospects, but uh, I have a lot of people who've told me, you know, I'm happy where I'm at right now and everything's going fine. I'm not desperate to leave. But if you hear of something different, if you hear of something that's kind of like this or like that, you know, please let me know. And so, yes, a good recruiter should have a pretty good database of people who aren't actively looking, more passive, uh, that wouldn't be on the job boards or that wouldn't be every morning scanning the job boards looking for that, but have just told a trusted, you know, resource, someone like me, a good recruiter, you know, hey, um, keep me posted if something like this happens. Well, one last thing before we uh, we say goodbye. Just what if someone's out there, either there's a lawyer that's looking for a job uh, or looking for a better opportunity, or there's a law firm that's looking for that perfect candidate to come join the firm. How would someone get a hold of you? Uh, so they can find me on the web at preferredcounsel.net, uh, or they can give me a call, uh, 210-445-7669. Uh, I'm happy just to serve as a resource. Um, it may be a different market, uh, but I've got people all the time who are looking to move because maybe a spouse is moving or whatever. Or even if you just want to, you know, bounce some ideas off. It is, you know, like I said, I'm in this for the long term. Happy to make friends all across the country. It doesn't have to involve any type of monetary transaction. Uh, just happy to, to, to give some tips and pointers. Well, thank you, and I hope this has been useful to someone listening, and I know you've really helped us uh, at our firm, and I appreciate it, and I hope you can help some of our listeners, too. I look forward to it. Thank you for having me, Michael. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Morgan Manson. A lot of our listeners have called and wanted to know, can you do more podcast interviews on the business side of running a law firm? And I thought Morgan would be a great guest to have for that because I know that hiring the right team has been a challenge for me, and I'm sure it's a challenge for a lot of you out there. Uh, I'm excited uh, about our next guest. Next episode, we're going to have attorney Eric Penn. Eric's a lawyer out of Jacksonville, Texas, and he just got an $89 million jury verdict against Warner Enterprises on a very challenging trucking case. Uh, he had a six-week-long trial. I knew that Eric worked on that case for years, and there's a lot that he did that I want to learn from, and I think you'd find interesting, too. And he's agreed to come and tell us how he got that verdict and what you can take from that in your cases. So thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. We look forward to talking with you again soon as we continue to explore powerful insights from our amazing hosts and remarkable guests here on Trial Lawyer Nation. Until then, please be sure to subscribe and review this podcast on iTunes or your favorite listening app so we can continue to reach more listeners. Visit us at www.triallawyernation.com to send us a message, listen to previous podcasts, or learn more about Michael Cowan and our guests. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Callen and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our hosts, guests, or contributors, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.